Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, here's your host, Jason Day. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. I am your host, Jason Day, and I had the chance to spend some time this past week with Dave Vance, lead pastor of Crossroads Church in Mansfield, Ohio. Under Dave's leadership, Crossroads has made a tremendous impact on their community, being named one of the 100 fastest-growing churches in the U.S. by Outreach Magazine for the past two years running. Dave has a heart for leading the church to engage fully in God's mission and see their city transformed. He speaks regularly at conferences and events and is the author of The Idol Called Grace, published by Equip Press. In this episode, Dave and I discuss how some pizza, coupled with a church model that is over 150 years old, and a genuine willingness to listen, led to community transformation and kingdom growth in their church and in their city. Dave shares how their church navigated a critical shift from receiving ministry to being responsible for ministry, and how any church of any size in any context can do the same. This is one you'll want to share with your team and colleagues, super powerful insights. So please join me in my conversation with Dave Vance. Dave, thank you for joining us on the Church Leaders Podcast. Welcome, brother. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for churchleaders.com and all the impact that you have around the country and around the world. So honored to be with you. Yeah, brother. I I just love your story and what God has been doing um, in and through your church, Crossroads. You've been experiencing quite an amazing, uh, at least the last couple years in ministry um, there in Mansfield, as as you've been sharing with me, as I've been following kind of your story. Your church has been named one of the 100 fastest growing churches in the U.S. two years in a row now by Outreach Magazine. Uh, you published uh, your first book, The Idol Called Grace. You've seen so many people in your city commit their lives to Christ. Tell us just a little bit about your context there in Mansfield and and just let's get a taste of where your church is and kind of where you are ministering. Yeah, you know, I hear hear those things that you just described, and I would be the first to say uh, that is greatly unexpected and and uh, greatly appreciated. And it's amazing to think about the journey because we're not— we're not really the typical journey that many churches take. And what I mean by that is, is really to understand our context. You have to understand our church, but also our, our city, our town. And uh, so I've been at Crossroads Church here in Mansfield for about five years. Uh, we're in a, a typical uh, Midwest town that saw a huge boom of the auto industry. And then uh, over a decade ago, the crash of the auto industry. And so uh, we are a city that kind of looms in the shadow of more developing cities like Columbus and even places like Cleveland and Akron that still are struggling as well in that auto industry. And, uh, you know, one of the things when I moved here uh, five years ago, uh, Crossroads was a church that kind of was in flux. And what I mean by that is that really didn't know exactly their identity. It started back in the 90s, kind of that uh, that typical Crossroads church. Probably most communities have a Crossroads church somewhere. Uh, it started as a seeker model church. And so that idea of really being a church for the unchurched. And then about 12 to 13 years ago, really shifted to uh, a deeper reform model. And and what that created, not again, not a bad thing to be deeper and reformed. Uh, what that created, though, was a level of 
of a maybe stagnancy where people really didn't know what do we do? Do we reach people or are we just trying to grow uh, our own, you know, disciple ourselves and grow ourselves? Is that what we're trying to do? And so I would say it was a church stuck in what I would call no man's land uh, in the sense of the church world. And and so, you know, when I moved here, there was this there was this language and and lingo that really was negative. It was like, first of all, why would anybody move here to this town? And I moved from the from from Maryland, which is the Washington D.C. area, and the uh, kind of a lot of a lot of development there and government that expands. And people were like, "Why would you move here?" And, and then and then there was this this mindset of people that wouldn't actually affect or impact or even engage our city. Now there were vast attempts to to help. You know, the the, the business community, social community, the economic sectors of the community were trying to do things to really bring uh, bring the city back. But overall, it was a place that was struggling with people that really didn't have an identity. And so being called to a place like this, it's not the typical story that you would hear to say that we've been the fastest growing church two years in a row uh, on the list and 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 a place that see, is seeing growth. We would probably be the the atypical story of that, um, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's fascinating, Dave. Uh, I'd like to, to talk a little bit, if you can dig in a little bit, because um, about this um, kind of lack of identity for the church itself— in regard to because because I've uh, as I travel the country talk to a lot of churches I've noticed that um, some churches they they go through exactly what you were describing um, where they're either more kind of uh, on a deeper focus more like um, discipling and really really trying to grow deep with God or they bounce to a hey let's let's really really try to um, impact our community or reach our community. And, and they kind of um, ping pong back and forth between those rather right. than finding kind of the balance, which is really what, what the church is called to be, both incarnational and invitational, both, you know, going deep with Jesus, but then also connecting with the community. So, so Dave, talk, talk with us a little bit about how did you help um, Crossroads um, kind of balance out those those two extremes and, and kind of find that core identity? Yeah, and you know what's funny about Crossroads is that we actually still have a, a bit of that seeker sensitive model built into us because it was such a part of our culture. And so I think when the when the change was made by the founding pastor, and I look back and say uh, it, it was probably a wise thing to do, you know, because now there were people that needed to have depth. There were people that needed to grow in their faith. There were people that needed to grow deeper in their understanding of the scripture. And so the, the transformation to a reform, a deeper reform model was actually a healthy journey. Mm. The, the struggle is do those two things have to be mutually exclusive? Right, right. And I think our instinct as people is to say, well, we need to be outreach oriented or we need to be deeper and discipleship oriented. And what I would say to you and what, what I would argue to any church leader is to say, no, no, no. If you are deeper and you are discipleship oriented, it then overflows the outreach into, into the community. And so that's where we found ourselves is those two things are not mutually exclusive. In fact, uh, the deeper you are, the greater the impact should be. And instead of being uh, deeper and insular, you become deeper and external. Mm. In your depth, you begin to impact. And so that's kind of where we are, where we began to change. And really, it was a language change for us to say that if you really get the gospel, if you really get what this thing that we call the church is all about, then it's going to have fundamental impact, fundamental impact in our community. It's it's going to impact the uh, the 
the devastating areas, the areas overrun by things like heroin and families breaking apart and children that are at a high risk of abuse in our community, homes that are deteriorating. This community should be better if we're actually deeper. And so we began to change that that language to say, no, 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 that seeker heart that we have to help those far from God come to God should actually overflow in the depth that we now have in the scripture and gospel. So yeah, we began to change that language and say, no, no, if you're actually deep, then we're going to be wide and we're going to, we're going to dig and go at the same time uh, while not, not watering down or while still proclaiming the gospel in a deep, authentic, uh, and, and a discipleship format. Yeah. Yeah. I love that, Dave. I often say, you know, it's, if you're if you're a true disciple, you're also a disciple maker, um, because you can't really be, be a disciple right. without having that, like you said, that external focus on on uh, the community around you, people who are far from God. Talk us through a little bit. I I, I know you said that language. You started um, kind of uh, maybe redefining some language or using some new language to help people help people kind of capture that vision. Um, but but obviously you. You um, were assessing what you what you walked into five years ago. You saw the good and the fruit in it, but you saw that God God could take this um, you know somewhere else. That God that there were bigger things ahead for the kingdom expression there in Mansfield. So aside from language, were there other things that that you did at Crossroads to really help champion this this? fresh vision of kind of the both and the we can be deep but as we are deep that means we are going to be um looking outward as well yeah absolutely you know we had to put some action steps to the language we were now speaking and so you know we we began to that language kind of if i can share the evolution of that language you know the 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 truth of this mansfield ohio there were actually missions teams coming from outside the North Central Ohio region to Mansfield, from outside of the state in different places to come to do ministry in Mansfield. And so, you know, we, we began to say, wait a minute, we, we have to do something about this. And were we looking at our city through the eyes of apathy or were we looking through the eyes of animosity or were we going to look through the eyes of action? And so we began to talk through that. And so we asked questions. Uh, you know, everything begins with questions. I think questions can bring clarity. They provide the clarity that we need. And so we asked questions like, do, do we just want to change the church to make the city better or do we change the culture and hope the church grows? We said, we think that the church has to look differently if we want to make our city, our community better. What does God see when he looks at our city? If our church went away, what would go away? Would anybody miss us? If the lights turned off and the weeds grew uh, grew in our area, uh, would anybody care? What would be lost as a result of us not being here? And so that really led to the conversation of, are there any models of this, of churches that are making a deep impact while at the same time focusing on making disciples. And one of the one of the models that we found and we began to kind of share their story a little bit. And you know, there's a lot of great great models out there. You know, you think of North Point and Saddleback and Elevation and New Life Church and all of these different churches that were um, you know, we can we can model after and all of those are doing phenomenal things. But one of the ones that we found was actually from 1850. And it was it was Charles Spurgeon and London Metropolitan Tabernacle. And uh, kind of a quick story, you know, in London in the 1850s, it was considered the Victorian era, uh, which caused the great industrial revolution in England. Uh, and so what happened is there was a decline of the rural and agricultural society and a rise of kind of the uh, the 
the mechanics of society. And all of a sudden there were businesses and, and, um, you know, engineers became a, a big force. And what, what it caused in England was tons of the poor were pouring into the city because the jobs were no longer in the rural areas. And so literally the population of the poor quadrupled in England during that time. And while every other church began to leave the, the city proper, London Tabernacle remained in the city and they decided to be a church in the city and for the city. And they moved right into the the, uh, the poverty. And it, it was exactly what you just mentioned. Their, the gospel in them became the gospel out of them. Their orthodoxy led to orthopraxy. And so they began to build, uh, build low-income housing. They began to make um, homes for orphans. They began to have a school that trained people in reading and writing. Uh, they had clothing drives and food uh, food pantries and homeless shelters for those in need. And so uh, really the fingerprints of that church led to an influx of growth in that church. And so not only did it reach the poor, but the influential, the British uh, aristocracy began to be a part of the church there. And so I would say today, London is the grand city that it is because of London Tabernacle's decision to enter the poverty in 1850. And so we began to tell that story to say, hey, could we go from being the cool kid on the block, the large church in town, to being a shining light in the darkness? And so that led us to a, a really a campaign. Uh, we, we, we had a kind of launched a three-year campaign we called Vision 2020. Um, and it, but it was more than a financial campaign. It was really a commitment that we made as a church to help reach the underserved and underprivileged in our community, to engage the darkest, deepest, and downtrodden issues that we're finding in our city and saying, if you've been a recipient of the church's mission, you now have a responsibility to the church's mission. So that really began for us to say, as a church, we are going to be cultural architects. We are going to begin to uh, to kind of minimize the the distance between the church and culture, and actually we're going to enter the needs and be a part of the needs. And uh, one of the ways we did that was through a a downtown urban center. So we we bought a building that was abandoned and run down, and uh, we did that for a couple of reasons. First of all, we want to be a part a part of helping upgrade what's happening in our community. So we thought if we could take one building and make it better, it would speak to our mission to be a part of of really the uh, the building of our community, the the helping of our community come back. Uh, to some greatness. And so we picked a building uh, that we could upgrade, and then we began to do ministry out of that. And uh, that's kind of how we began to to confront the needs that we found in our city, but at the same time, transitioning our church from a church that just looked at themselves as the mission to looking at our region as the mission. Yeah, that, that's powerful. Dave, um, how did you, because I'm very curious, because a lot of pastors are wrestling with trying to lead their churches through this shift, this shift from kind of a consumer mindset. Like, as you said, kind of um, we are the recipient of the church's ministry and mission to more like, hey, we are on mission. Like we're responsible, I think is what you said, responsible for the church's mission. I love the fact that you you went over a century back to find a church model to inspire. <laughs> that's that's awesome. I love it. But what were some of the uh, you, you said that you looked into your city and you you said, okay, how can we help do some development? How can we build a ministry center in kind of the urban area? Were there specific like staffing decisions that you had to make, or structural or system decisions that you had to make as as a church in order to kind of help make this shift? 
from that consumer mindset to, hey, we are on mission? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the The decision to go in that approach of missional certainly had a domino effect to staffing, you know, things that we thought were were of utmost importance. Now we had to say these actually aren't the important things. So historically, things like even even things that like creativity, could we be highly creative in a less expensive way so that we can impact our city? Mm. So there were some compromises that we had to make staffing uh, areas where we would probably be more robust and constantly be looking for staff. We said, hey, can we go without them and actually work with the staff that we have and help develop not make sure that we're not dropping the ball in any category, but but to be able to say part of the heartbeat of our church is really to reach out into our city. And so there were some compromises that we had to make. There were some difficult conversations because uh, for our church, it was we had had that seeker model kind of built into us. So excellence is a high value, uh, doing everything with excellence. That still is a high value. But could we be a model of excellence to a community where excellence isn't achieved or excellence is seen as something far distant. Could we be a model of that? So we began to change that. And, and, and that domino effect certainly affected all of those different areas uh, where we had to have difficult conversations to say, hey, when we reach out, we have to get messy a little bit. And that doesn't mean we have to you know, uh, turn down what we're doing ministry-wise at our base or through our campuses. But there are some things that we have to change to be able to accomplish the mission. Uh, and that's one of the reasons we did it in a, in a campaign, because we felt financially by putting our money behind it, putting our, uh, our, our abilities, our treasures, our talent all behind this, uh, we were saying we're committed to our region uh, to reach the underserved and underprivileged with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, you know, I, I would say through that campaign, one of the things that we, we really— kind of talked about is this place. One of the things that we saw is our people wouldn't actually go down to the square of our city. Uh, They looked at it as a dangerous place. It actually wasn't, but that was the perception that was in our community. And so one of the reasons why a financial campaign was part of this, certainly it was a commitment campaign, but a financial campaign was a part of it, was we wanted people to feel ownership. We, We felt that it wasn't just enough to serve something, that we wanted people to own something. Mm. Um, and so we had to put some finances behind that and we had to, we had to have people feeling a commitment to saying that is my place. This is the place that God has called me. And so you need to go down there. So yeah, the the trickle effect of that was, I mean, it changed our budget greatly to say, Hey, this is going to be a part of our mission. This is going to be a part of what goes out from us. Um, so it had a lot of domino effects in a lot of different categories. Yeah. So Dave, walk us a little bit through, I'm super curious, kind of the timeline. So you you set up this, um, as you said, this campaign, which is both, it sounds like a, uh, a high-level commitment, but also a capital campaign to help fund the this, this vision that you have. So what was kind of like the time frame? When did you start casting that vision? When did you move into that? And then when? at what point did you actually kind of kick off and and even purchase the property downtown. Can you just kind of walk us through that? Yes. So it, it, it actually almost is three years ago uh, that we launched this campaign and it officially will end at the beginning of vision of 2020. Thus we called it vision 2020. And uh, we, we actually 
launched that with multiple layers. And uh, the, the, the urban center, we, we call it the city center, was the first part of that. Uh, the second part of that was continuing our campus reach. So uh, being able to spread campuses throughout the region and uh, in different places that God would allow us. And then also we had some mortgage payoff to our current building. Uh, we're in a, a uh, kind of a warehouse style building in Mansfield. And so we thought, hey, let's let's build into that some mortgage payoff, which will then free us to be able to do the mission that God is calling us to do. And so what we were trying to do is say, let's launch the campaign to hit different types of people, people that are missional in nature. They're going to get the urban center. People that want to see the vision go forward are going to see the campuses as a, a great model. And then there's some people that are financially astute that said, hey, why don't we pay off the current mortgage and we can do more ministry? And we said, yes, we, we're going to do that as well. So we put this campaign in kind of a threefold uh, formula. And so we actually launched, it was uh, uh, February, three years ago. And we started by saying the first thing we're going to do is at our urban center because we want you to buy into the mission. And so we actually had the, the money in hand and then we're able to complete that by the first year's end. We had an urban center that was functioning, and because of the payoff of the mortgage as part of that, we were then able to move staffing into that role as well to be able to get that uh, that urban center to be serving. Now, kind of going back, one of the things that I think is so important, we, we began this journey. Um, I actually, as a lead pastor, I, I, I bought some pizzas. We have a right across the street from us, a Little Caesars. I went to Little Caesars, bought some pizza, and went to uh, what would be considered the downtrodden areas of our uh, of our community. And I went and asked questions. We talked. So we went out and we we talked to people. What are the needs? What's going on? What do you see? If we could help you with anything, what would it be? So we had some pretty good data from the people that would be considered underserved and underprivileged. We had some good data from them to say, hey, here are the areas that, that are necessary. And so we found out just by asking questions, we found out um, that people didn't feel like there was some educational opportunities for their kids after school. There, there was certainly education but what if they were falling behind? Who could help them get back? We found out that, that addiction recovery was a huge issue in our community. Uh, we found out that there were many marriages that were on uh, on on difficult grounds. They're, they're, the, the foundation was rocky. And if they had some counseling, uh, it could really help them. Uh, we found out that there were jobs available for people, but there weren't people who could get to the jobs. And so transportation and job coordination was something we found. And, and then uh, people didn't or weren't able to have clothing that was clean. And so those questions really led us into that campaign with some answers. So we were able to stand before the people when we launched that campaign saying, here are the answers to the questions we've already asked. And so we have some answers that are coming right from the community. So we're not just going to take money and have a building. We're actually going to put into practice very quickly answers to our community's needs. That's so and yeah. I, I would, I would encourage any church leader, I mean, it really begins by asking the right questions. If you can find one answer to a question in your community, you can actually engage the need of your community. Um, it's, it's amazing. And so we found four or five answers, and we just started engaging them. And what's interesting is pretty reasonably with a reasonable cost, with a building, so we have a presence, and now a team of army that is able to go there and serve there uh, week in and week out. So uh, a couple of things like we have our uh, coffee and laundry service. Uh, we offer that. Uh, it started as a warming center. 
and then we added laundry services. So we got some industrial laundry, uh, laundry uh, washers and dryers, and we have a laundry service two days a week so people can clean their clothes to get the jobs they need. Uh, we offer uh, a job coordinator who is helping people get jobs. So we have stories of changed lives, and it all began with some questions that said, here are the holes in our community. Can we can we fulfill them while also stirring the missional heart in our church? I love I love that. I love that you start with the questions too, because so often we rush in and we, and we kind of think we know, you know, like that right. like we think we know what what our community needs. Um, but when you you slow down and do exactly what you and your team did, Dave, you you take the time to get to know the people, to actually ask the questions, to find out really what is it that are the greatest needs. Um, creative things yeah. like like. Um, laundry, you know, shows up yes. like who would have thought like that was a need that they needed to have an opportunity to have their clothes cleaned for work. Um, and, and you would never have known that had you not bought some pizzas and had some conversations, right? It's so true. And you know, what's interesting is we found, and this is, I, I would, I would bet pretty consistent in most communities, what we assumed was the need actually wasn't the need. So uh, if you were to ask most people in our community, they would say there's not enough jobs. And they would go back to, you know, over a decade ago when the automotive industry left, there's no jobs in our community. And we actually found that wasn't the case. We actually found there were jobs available. There were just people that couldn't get to them. And so, yeah, I would I would guess in every community, we would make assumptions about our community mm -hmm. until we actually ask the questions that give us the answers uh, that we're looking for. Yeah, I love that. I love that. So Talk to us a little bit more. So you mentioned, so you have the coffee and the laundry. Um, mm -hmm. You have a job coordinator that, that helps people in actually finding, locating jobs. You talked a little bit. What are the other things? You said transportation, some after-school stuff. Yeah, so we have, uh, during the summer, we have reading programs. We have after-school mentorship. Uh, we uh, we added a mentoring program for kids uh, in partnership with a local, uh, almost like big brother, big sister. Uh, but we, we program with the local community uh, what they already have. Uh, we found out that they had 78 young boys on a waiting list. And so we were able to get mentors for those young boys. And um as well as now they've come to us and said, hey, we have some young ladies that need mentorship as well. A and then we we have addiction recovery and we partnered with a Christian counseling organization in a neighboring county who wanted to enter our county but couldn't. We gave them a place to do counseling multiple days a week, um, free, absolutely free for people. And so we were able to uh, refer people to the counseling center. So there are marriages that probably would just have fallen apart that now, now are getting counseling. We have uh, people and families that are getting counseling about uh, discipline issues with their kids, and they're able to get counseling from a professional organization. And we just gave them a place to do it and gave them freedom to do it and then set up the system by which people could get connected. And so we're using the resources already in our community, but at the same time fixing and connecting the holes uh, that our community uh, has. So yeah, those are just a few of those things that we're doing. Yeah, I, lo I love that. Uh, Dave, because th there are some things that your church is kind of like stepping in and saying, okay, you know, we've asked the questions, we see this need, this is something we can step in and do. There are other things where you're saying, well, who can we collaborate with because we That's see right. this gap? So who who do we know or who can we connect with, which I think is um, so important because it helps us understand that no matter what size of a church we might pastor – because some people, I think, sit back and say, oh, well, you're one of the fastest growing churches. You know, of course you can come in and, and do these things. But the reality is um, it just takes a heart and, and listening to your community 
And you can begin, no matter what size your church, looking at, well, how can we piece together some different, maybe there are some resources in the next county over. Maybe there right. are some people who, who have a heart for this. How So you can almost be, become a bit of a coordinator in a way, pulling those pieces together once you discover what the needs are. Um, so really any church of any size can step into the needs in their community, right? Absolutely. And, and it, it really, it goes back asking asking questions, getting, getting to know where the holes are, and then filling one of those holes. Pick one thing. Mm. And I, I call it, we call it here being a cultural architect. Can the church actually close the gap between the church and culture, and ultimately between Christ and the culture, by beginning to be an architect in the community, uh, by being able to have conversations about, hey, what are the holes? Could we meet one of those holes? For some, you know, it may be we need to have a meal for people one you know, one week out of the year. It could be, hey, we need to provide some clothing, or we need to provide a food pantry. You know, we found in our community, there were plenty of food pantries. Uh, there were plenty of clothing areas where people could get cheaper clothing. There were, the, there were these holes that we found. And so every, if every church found one hole and filled it, uh, it would change our cities. It would change our communities. And so, yeah, it doesn't matter what size you are. You know, for us, it wasn't like we had a, even being a large, fast-growing church. I would argue that the reason we are fast growing is because of these steps we've taken, mm. because it has stirred a missional heart in our church to impact our community. And as a result, the community then knows we love them, that we actually do love our city, that we're not against them. We proclaim a message that, of transformation in Jesus Christ. And so we're actually for our city and we're willing to touch the darkest, deepest, and downtrodden areas and issues. And so I think it actually has, has created some of what we're seeing over the last two years. So I think we we come at it usually backwards, right? We come at it and we say, well, if we just had enough people, I could we could make this difference and be a, a church of influence. And I, I think we are proof that you actually go about it the other way to say, we're going to be a church of, of, of a difference maker. We're going to be a church of influence in our community. And then see how God blesses that. See how God actually grows the church as a result of stirring that in the heart of, of the heart of the people. And so, you know, by being a cultural architect, we've seen God use us to influence all these different spheres in our community and region. That's so good. I, I love I love hearing what you guys are doing. I think it's so encouraging to to so many pastors um, as they're listening in. I'm sure even now. Um, to, to kind of be dreaming about how how do we begin to ask those questions and as you said see where the holes are and how can we how can we fill those holes, Dave? Can you share um, maybe a story or two of kind of some of the the cool life change or God moments that you've seen since since you've kind of launched into this and your church has kind of embraced this um, the city center? Yeah, and there you know there are. There's novels that could be written already just in even a, in a short few years of differences that were made that, I mean, we can't take credit for. Only God could write a story like that. But uh, a couple of things that we've seen, and, and I want to look at it from three angles, if that's okay. First of all, the life change of people. Um, you know, we we have, uh, I think of a lady named Jackie who came to our, our urban center for some help, needed, didn't have a degree, needed a job. Uh, we were able to help her get her GED 
Um, and then uh, she didn't have transportation to be able to get to a job. We helped her find a job. And so we provided for her a bike for free, donated by uh, one of the local stores. And uh, we were able to give her a free bike so that she could finish her classes. And uh, she she's attending classes, can't come to the ministry, the urban center as much because she's finishing her classes, but also was able to get a job. And uh, now she's able to have income. She's able to provide for her family, her kids. I think of a guy named Adrian. Here's another example. Um, he had been coming to our our coffee and laundry service. And at Easter, we gave uh, free Easter baskets for kids. And he asked for one to give to his daughter. It was the very first gift he's ever given his daughter. And so his daughter said, when she received the gift, our, our team said, uh, described this, this moment where he, he was in tears and he said, my, my daughter looked at me and said, dad, I know that you love me. <laughs> I mean, think about that. This is the first gift that she, he's ever given to her. Well, well now their family has been reconciled. They've actually been coming to church. Um, so, you know, we're seeing even families at, at just because of one little moment, an Easter basket, um, now healing a family. Uh, I think of a, a young man named Curtis and his mom. They were actually living in a car. They met our our uh, coordinator at our urban center, and uh, they were able to get them an apartment and provide them uh, with household items to be able to live there. They actually both work, just couldn't afford a house, and we were able to find them affordable housing and fill their pantry with food. And they're now coming to church, engaging Christ. I mean, it's just amazing to hear these stories. So that's that's one area, the, 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 the life change individually, and it's kind of helping one person at a time. The other thing that I think we, we would have unexpectedly happen is that God has opened doors for us to now have conversations in all these different sectors. So, for example, I was just sitting at our large local inner city high school with the administration, and they were asking, hey, how can we how can we engage our students better educationally? How can we engage where they're at in life? Because many of them are coming in uh, with, with difficult situations. Here they are asking the church for help in their sphere. Isn't that amazing? I love it. Um, I was invited to a, the local chamber of commerce to talk about how can we creatively bring beautification to our city. We would never have been able to sit at that table without taking some steps to say we love our city. We want to be a part of seeing uh, our city change. Uh, we were invited by our local theater, uh, which hosts the Miss Ohio pageant. It's hosted right here in Mansfield. And they asked us if we would help them bring shows and guests to the local theater. Um, so, so that language is now changing the community so that now they're looking at the church to help them better the community, that we're becoming a catalyst of helping our city become the best it can be. Um, and so that's another area that we didn't expect. But then a third area that I would say, again, we didn't expect and we didn't go go about this with, with this heart specifically, um, but we actually has found the more we've engaged our community, the more people actually want to be a part of our church. And so we have people uh, that have come that said, hey, we don't know Christ, but we love what you're doing. Can we partner with you? Hey, we're not really religious, but do you mind if we come to church because we love what you're doing for our city? So all of a sudden, over the last two years, we baptized over 250 people that have come, and I believe as a result of saying that we as a body were willing to get our hands messy, we were willing to see hearts changed, and we believe the body has grown as a result of that. And so uh, it's amazing, you know, especially we talk about the millennial generation. They've gathered and said, hey, we want to be a part of that. We think you're doing great things with me. We know that you love our city. So we want to be a part of your church because we know by being a part of your church, we're going to impact things 
uh, for the glory of God. And so it has actually created this um, this groundswell uh, of growth as a result of reaching into the the depths and despair of our own community and being a part of the answer. Yeah, that's so good, Dave. So good. It's, it's been so good to, uh, I, I could sit and talk forever to just hear, hear all these good things that God's doing in and through Crossroads and there in Mansfield. Um, Dave, if, if a pastor or someone wanted to kind of connect with you, what's the best way they could connect with you? Yeah, definitely. Um, any social media. I, I know uh, I have a website as well, pastordavevance.com. And uh, love to be able to connect with you. The contact information is on there. Uh, I'd love to be able to share with you the story and, and talk with you about how how your church, no matter what your size, no matter what the influence you may have today, how you can take some small steps to being a culture architect uh, in your in your community, in your region. You may be rural or you may be small city where would, would be a mid-sized town. You may be in a large city, but in a neighborhood where there's some needs. Um, it's amazing, I believe, if you touch the need of your community, uh, you're touching a bit of the heartbeat of God, and it will stir the heart of your people. That's beautiful, brother. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us and to share share your story. And I'm just excited to uh, continue to see um, how God's uh, going to be moving through Crossroads to impact Mansfield and even beyond in, in your area. So thank you for being with us. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Thanks for all your work. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us on this week's episode. Every week as we are putting the episodes together, we're thinking of you, our pastors and ministry leaders, and striving to provide insightful and inspiring interviews as you seek to grow as a kingdom leader. So we hope you're finding value from the Church Leaders Podcast, and if so, we'd certainly appreciate you taking a few moments to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders more easily find our podcasts so they too can benefit from these interviews. Again, we thank you in advance, and if you have any comments, any questions, suggestions, or ideas for guests, I would love to hear from you. You can send me an email to podcast at churchleaders.com, or you can connect with me on Twitter. Finally, you can find this podcast as well as other great faith-based podcasts on the FaithPlay app. It's available for both Apple and Android, and so we encourage you to check that out as well. So until next time, this is Jason Day encouraging you to love well, and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.